Just days ago, a woman missing since 2017 was discovered in a motel in Inkster, sending shockwaves through her family and the community. In an unexpected turn of events, the woman managed to reach out to her family herself, revealing that she was being held against her will. This marks the first contact her family has had with her in years, igniting questions about her mysterious disappearance and the circumstances surrounding her captivity. Let's get the latest now from Michigan State Police First Lieutenant Mike Shaw. Lieutenant, good morning. Good morning. How are you today? I am well, and thank God this woman was able to reach out to someone and police were able to find her. You know, it doesn't always end up that way. It, it doesn't always end up that way, and it, it's it's a courageous act on her part uh, to reach out to a family because a lot of times that people are put in these, in these type of situations, um, they're so either mentally beat down or physically beat down or something else is going on that they almost get to the point where they're just so afraid to try to get out of that situation themselves. So this case was particularly hard because at, once you turn 18, you can walk away from your family if you want, and there's really no law broken or anything like that. So it makes these type of human trafficking possibly cases mm-hmm. uh, tough to investigate at first because you don't know exactly what's going on. People are we, come in are we learning more, more, Mike? Was she taken against her will? Yeah, what's the circumstances uh, so, for disappearance? So, no, there, there's nothing that's pointing out that she was taken against her will. Um, it, it seems like that she just left her family and then ended up in a situation where she couldn't get out of it, which is right. the predominant way that human trafficking actually works. So uh, all the uh, social media posts and some of the rumors that go around there about people getting kidnapped from Great Lakes Crossing Mall or somebody putting a dollar bill under your windshield, that's not how it happens. Mm-hmm. Human trafficking basically happens where either it's a runaway child, somebody under 18, um, that is befriended by one of these traffickers, pimps, uh, yep. criminals, whatever word that you have for them. And then they get put into a situation that they just can't get out of either by being physically abused, uh, mentally abused, or now with uh, another part of the opioid epidemic is you know, people get addicted to these narcotics mm-hmm. and these traffickers will hold those off of them mm-hmm. uh, to keep them from leaving. And you you captured significant amounts of evidence of other criminal activity in that in that motel room. We did. So basically, when detectives got the the tip, they started to use some technology, some different ways to kind of focus in on to that particular area of that motel. Uh, when detectives approached the door, they they heard some some noises inside there that sounded like crying or screaming. Um, when they entered the room, uh, they were able to to rescue the 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 woman who is in her thirties. Uh, get her out of there, and then naturally we asked for a search warrant uh, to go back into that room to search it, uh, look for elements of a crime. And that's what we're doing now is trying to determine, one, um, how long she had been in that particular area, um, how she got in that situation, and if a crime occurred. Uh, That's our big three now. But our first most important focus was to get her the help she needed medically, uh, get her reunited with her family, and then putting her in with some nonprofit groups to kind of help her work her way through this and, and come from a victim to a survivor. What about the suspect? Have you identified one as of yet? So we do have somebody that we're looking at that we would call a suspect. Uh, we're in the process of uh, going to find that person, interview them, uh, see if there's other people that are involved in this, and kind of the the tough part of the investigation is going to mm-hmm. go on now. Um, and also, you know, we're, we're giving her time as well to kind of before we really start asking her a lot of questions, mm-hmm. things like sure. that. We want to get her medically 
prepared for that because uh, that it, it appears to be that you know she's been a tough time when you're, you're missing from your family from 2017 till now. Um, we got to fill in that gap between 17 and 24. Wow. Well, you know, the, it, re, sometimes you see this youthful rebellion, but you know, they, they, as you point out, when they realize they've made a mistake, then it's often uh, too late. Do we know if this uh, suspect has any priors, Lieutenant? Uh, we don't know if there's any priors to this person. That's part of our background investigation yeah. is to kind of start digging into this person to see if there's something there. Um, we haven't had contact with this particular motel before in the city of Inkster. Um, so, but I, I think people are surprised because this kind of serves up to the, the social media aspect where you see the, the rundown motel, so to speak, and no offense to the owner of this establishment, but um, this happens in high-end areas as well and oh, yeah. you know, one of the things that we're going to work uh with our partners during the time is when the draft comes we also see an increase in this type of activity as well you know, so. tra traditionally when you rescue someone like this does it lead to the rescue of other women as well usually it does it's, it's pretty rare that you run across one of these cases where it's just one person that's being trafficked um we've had cases where uh, somebody gave us a tip. We ended up going into a to a house in right in the middle of a neighborhood um, where there was 11 to 12 uh, people in there that were victims of human trafficking with three or four different um, traffickers that were operating out of that area. So usually it kind of is a little bit bigger um, than just one person. Right. So that's one thing that we're interested to is to make sure that we're not leaving somebody behind. Because that raises the stakes to get this guy quickly. Uh, absolutely. Uh, that's uh, to get him. And, and again, you know, we may work through this whole process and find out um, that maybe that she was in a position for a while um, and decided it was time to come home, too. And there was no crime that took place. So, you know, that that's the tough part when it's an adult is trying to figure out exactly, you know, when the person left, why why they thought they were being held against their will. And there's a lot of, we got to jump a lot of hurdles to get to, yeah. to that part of the investigation. To the family, it doesn't matter. They've got her home, right? That's right. That is. Yeah. And, and you got to feel good too, though, Lieutenant. You're, you're, you're men and women uh, on the force that you played a role in bringing this woman back to her family. Absolutely. And, and, and the, you know, the stepmother that came forward and, and told police, because a lot of people won't do that. And, and some of it is, you know, because they don't want to get involved. The other parts is that they just, they're not sure, right? You don't want to be the one that, you know, calls the police and find out you sent them to a place that nothing absolutely was happening. But, you know, I want to remind people, uh, just because you call the police doesn't mean that we go in there and boot somebody's door open, you know, right afterwards, just going by the word that you think something happened. We're going to look into it and investigate it a lot more before we actually knock on that door to make contact with somebody to see if there's that what you think is suspicious actually is a crime. Lieutenant, I got to change gears, gears a little bit. Uh, there's been a lot of road rages, at least three, I think, road rage incidents. And one this has, week. Yeah, and one has, uh, you know, was a fatality. What is going on with people in this road rage yeah. and pulling guns and, and things? Well, I'm glad you brought that up, Lloyd, because I wasn't going to let you get away without bringing that up because, <laughs> you know, we've seen that as well. And it's just driving, right? I mean, and you got to kind of police yourself. We, we get a lot of comments, right? Well, if there's more police out there. You know, we, we can't get we can't get in everybody's back seat and give them a smack on the back of the head when they start acting <laughs> yeah. the fool behind the wheel. Right. So some of it has to be self-policing. Right. And we all know if, we all know a family member 
we all know if it's us that has trouble with road rage. Um, there's some things that you can do to try to prevent that. And if you are somebody that gets hot behind the collar because they can't handle the responsibility of driving, you know, remind yourself when you get behind the wheel, take a breath. You know, I got to be calm. Leave earlier to where you're going so if you run across construction, it doesn't get you mad. If somebody's driving in the left lane and you don't like it too bad, get over it, move on. Um, but one thing that we have seen is, and you know, we'll make some people upset about this, but is is guns, right? So guns involved in the car for us, and I can only speak about our investigations, uh, the three out of the four last road rage incidents we've had involved a gun, and they're all CPL holders. So if you're oh, wow. a CPL holder and you have a trouble managing your, your emotions when getting behind the wheel, separate yourself from that gun. Leave it at home. Put it in the trunk. Do something that keeps you separate from that gun because it only takes a split second to ruin you, your life by going to prison or even worse, taking somebody else's life. Just remember, it's just driving. There's it's rule, there are rules to have a CPL and, you know. Yeah. Well, and that's one thing, you know, that you can guarantee, too, is we're going to do everything we possibly can. If you use a, if you have a CPL and you use a firearm in a felonious assault situation. Uh, we're going to do everything they can to make sure that you never have a CPL again. Lieutenant Mike Shaw, Michigan State Police, we appreciate your time always on JR Morning. Thank you. Yep, you guys have a good weekend. You, you as too. well. When we come back, it's a bipartisan commission with recommendations to keep our kids safer. So why haven't any of the recommendations been enacted? We'll tackle that next on JR Morning. Automotive Views now with Jamie Butters brought to you by the Michigan Economic Development Corporation. Learn more at michiganbusiness.org. How big of a threat to the Detroit 3's plans are Chinese electric vehicles? China has had an array of policies to support the development of a world-leading EV industry, from mining and refining to battery tech to consumer incentives. Remember BYD? It once had a pretty shabby-looking display at the Detroit Auto Show. In the fourth quarter of last year, it sold more EVs than Tesla, and it supplies batteries for some of Tesla's Model Y crossovers. Now the Chinese EV giant is preparing to build an assembly plant in Mexico, which could avoid the steep 25% tariffs the U.S. charges on autos made in China. Top BYD executive says the intent is only to serve the local market there in Mexico, not to come to the U.S., but whether it's sooner or later, whether it's BYD or another brand, the Chinese are coming. It's up to Detroit, with help from Washington, to meet the challenge. With this week's Automotive View, I'm Jamie Butters, host of the Daily Drive podcast and executive editor of Automotive News.